Do you make playlists? Of course you do, and so do I. I'm Katie Kruger, and Show Me Your Playlist is the podcast where I sit down and talk to a new guest each week that has something to say and a playlist to share. Get inspired and find new music each week. Follow us on Instagram at Show Me Your Playlist, and don't forget to listen to Show Me Your Playlist on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I am drinking. Yes. I thought I was the shit starter when we drank, though. (laughs) I feel like this whole episode is going to be a constant um, blast from the past straight into my face. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because when I was a kid, I loved Thriller. Yeah. I loved it. It was... I'm sure my parents would rather stab a person than hear this album again because my sister and I listen to it so much. Aww. But I still have it. I still have the original vinyl that we listen to over and over and over and Memories. over again. Yep. Oh, yeah. We didn't have the album. Uh, and I didn't really ever listen to the album altogether until this episode. So it was interesting. And um, pretty much the entire thing, you know, like, even if you haven't ever listened to this whole album, I will tell you right now, aside from two songs, you know the whole album. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you know every single song. If Even if you're a casual Michael Jackson fan, yeah, you know pretty much every song off of this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. It's a big song. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we are your weekly podcast, bringing you sweet treats of stories and tales from the world of music. And this week's sweet jam of a tale is Michael Jackson's album, A Thriller. Yes. We mm. shall be going through the whole thing. Yes. Which actually isn't even... It's only it's only nine tracks. Yeah. It's actually I mean, not even that long. It's a pretty quick banger of an album. But it is an album. It's fun kind of doing these old albums. Right? <laughs> that... Originally came out on vinyl because you only have so much room on a vinyl record, so they're pretty small. Yeah, it's it, it does make your life a little easier. Like, ooh, okay, whew, can I do so much on this? All right, let's do this. Nice. Until they do the double album release, Fleetwood Mac. Why did you do it? Lindsey Buckingham. I, I, I blame all of Tusk on Lindsey Buckingham. There's some good songs there. Are there. Some, there are some very solid jams But there's on a Tusk. whole lot of filler. And a whole lot of Lindsay Buckingham. It's like a 1990s anime where it's like 300 episodes and you're like, this is like 80% filler and 20% <laughs> plot line. Yeah. That was a reference for the anime nerds out there. Yeah. Talking Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon. I feel like Inuyasha was like that too. Oh God, That's... fucking Inuyasha. I, I didn't finish that. <laughs> Did I was like, anyone? Maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because this album is, um, it's just so many songs. You're like, oh my god, yeah, I know all of these. Yeah, I've and just... they're all Michael Jackson classics. No, they are quintessential. Mm-hmm. 
and, and yeah, everybody knows them. The beer that we are drinking to accompany us on this excursion is perfect uh, because it's called Mikkel Dra- Jackson from McKellar. McKellar. I always <laughs> fuck it up. I always want to call it like Mickelson. That's not That's a, wrong. I make that up. I made yeah. that. I pulled that right out of my butt. I mean, that makes me think Mads Mickelson needs That's... to make beer. No, or fucking McKellar needs to make a Mad Mickelson's beer. Yeah. Either just way. Put his dreamy little face on it. I don't know. I just saw Polar, which is on Netflix. I've heard polarizing things about it. It's terrible. Well, that sucks <laughs> because I really like him. Oh, I love him. He's fantastic. He's stellar. I'm sure he's great in it. I'm, he was. I mean, as good as you can be in a bad movie. He was the absolute best thing about it. Everything <laughs> else was fucking terrible. No. I like calling him Mad's Milk. Because it's like mad cow disease. But they can call it Mad's Milk and it can be a milk stout. This is blowing my mind. Oh my god. We need to write to somebody. McKellar, are you listening to us right now? No, they're not. Please do. (laughs) But somebody listen to us. Someone listen to us. We've got great ideas. Use them. (laughs) Just just pump out our podcast and tell people about it in payment. That's all we want. And free beer. Yes. That's all we want. I think that's legit. Yeah, that's not asking much. No. But this isn't about Mads Mikkelsen. It's no. about Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. And I was also trying to talk about the beer, which is real fucking good. <laughs> it it, it it's really a is New England style uh, fucking IPA, IPA which, which are great. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of IPAs. Well, I I love how we always go back to that. I'm like we pretty much do like IPAs at this point. But the best part about this is it's got a really nice citrusy touch to it. I think maybe it has a bit of like mandarin in it or something. It's got some in it. And it's it's good. nice. The citrus adds a really nice flavor to it because it doesn't just taste like a can of hops. Yeah, I'm not drinking. I'm not just munching on some hops. Yeah, here. we're not crunching exactly. on hops. <laughs> we are drinking a delightful beer. Yeah, it's actually So get really your good. hands on it. It is good. And I think it's newer, so. So you can actually find it. Yeah. Because if there's one thing we have learned about McKellar beer is that if you see it and you want it, fucking buy it because if you go back next week to the beer store it's not gonna be there no no it'll be there for the three months you're like i need to buy that i need to buy that and then you're like i'm gonna go buy that oh good it's gone cool thanks and it's gone <laughs> great well back to the album itself for thriller it is the world's best-selling album the first in the u.s to reach 30 times platinum <gasps> selling over 66 million copies it won eight Grammy Awards. Thriller has accolades for days. Wow, it's still the best selling selling album. So the Eagles' greatest hits knocked it out of place, but then I think they like it crawled itself back in there. Fucking it was like, Eagles. get out of here, Todd Henley. Seriously, get the fuck out of here, Eagles. Like I'm not gonna lie, I like the Eagles, but not more than Michael Jackson's Thriller. Well, a lot went into this album. A lot of money. And a lot of big names helping with production. And of course, Michael was already going into this with mountains of popularity to stand upon. But it was this album that immortalized him. And as absolutely classic and as timeless as this album is, it has a fair share of controversy behind it. Mm-hmm. Because it's Michael Jackson. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about that controversy today, guys. And it's that, not happening. And that Don't bring it up. controversy has not happened at the time that this album came out. Correct. I mean, there are others, but we're we're just sticking to thriller controversies. Nothing else. Yes. That, we don't need to get into that. 
Jackson controversies will be saved for its own episode. <laughs> All Woof. of them. What? like, that would cover two weeks. Fuck. Sincerely, the Jacksons had a crazy time. Mm-hmm. Thriller is Michael Jackson's sixth studio album. And now what came right before this was Off the Wall, which was held in very high praise. It went eight times platinum in the U.S. But Michael still wasn't satisfied. After he hired manager John Bracca, he confided in him that he wanted to be the biggest and wealthiest star in show business. So Off the Wall had um, Rock With You? Yes. Okay. And um, there was Don't no- Stop Till You Get Enough. Yes. Keep up with a pork chop. Don't Stop Till You Get It Up. <laughs> That's what I used to think he was singing. I am oh. the queen of mishearing lyrics. <laughs> I stand by this. The one thing Michael was confident in was bringing back producer Quincy Jones, who worked with him on his previous record. And they also brought back Rod Temperton to write lyrics. And I always want to call him Rod Templeton, like the rat in Charlotte's Web. And then I just think of a little rat writing songs for Michael Jackson. And then it turns into this little kids movie about like this rat who's like, I'm going to write songs for you now, Michael. But he's like, oh, thanks, Templeton. You're a real good rat. But didn't like, didn't Michael Jackson, when he was a kid, have friends that were mice? <laughs> Did you, he? you don't remember that oh he had a mouse what was it ben i thought that was a monkey no that no, was bubbles. a bear bubbles is the chimp no who was i thought pet. ben was a bear i'm pretty sure ben was a mouse he had a friend that was a mouse and, and he, he wrote a song, a song over it ben. i yeah. thought ben was about a bear that is no it's a mouse <laughs> i it, think ben it, just seems like a really good bear name but also kind of a good mouse name. No, it's a bear name. It, Even if it's about a mouse, song is he's about wrong, a mouse. and it should be about a bear. There was even like a cartoon that was about Michael Jackson and his mouse name Ben. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh well, all right. So this is real on brand. This all makes sense now. <laughs> oh my god! They also recruited members of Toto for recording and production. Oh no shit! Your shit. You got fucking, fucking Toto on this. Toto. Who doesn't love Toto? If you don't love Toto, get the fuck out. Get the, seriously, we can't. We'll you wait. can't be friends with us. We'll wait for you to leave. It's a pretty solid group of talent here. And that's not even counting the guest spots in some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the King of Pop had mostly classical influences in mind when they began the process of creating this album. He wanted Thriller to resemble the Nutcracker Sweep by Tchaikovsky, where, quote, every song is a killer. Or a thriller. I mean, I just, I've never listened to Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite and thought, yo, this shit's dope. <laughs> every song on this track's a fucking killer. Like, could you just imagine that? Could you just imagine fucking Tchaikovsky being like, mm, I don't declare all tracks on this album are quite dope. Yes. <laughs> Flourish the pinky. I, he was not British and I'm sorry. Oh. Toto keyboardist David Paik remembers Michael telling them to think of Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel and do whatever needed to be done because the sky was the limit. That's kind of a weird, whatever it is. Encouragement? It's just kind of a weird person Imagery? to compare, and, yeah. compare him to. Like, I don't know if Michelangelo really did whatever it took to get the Sistine Chapel painted. I think he just painted a lot. He just painted it. <laughs> and they're like, do you, do you just want us to paint the album? And Michael's like, yeah, you guys just do whatever you gotta do. I mean, like, 
He literally just, I mean, okay, so he built a weird scaffolding so he could, like, lay down, like, up against the ceiling and paint. Maybe build some scaffolding? (laughs) He really just wanted them to build scaffolding. Build the scaffolding of these amazing songs. Ooh, nice. There we go. Did it. You did it. Proud of you. (laughs) Originally, Michael and Quincy came to the table with 30 songs. Mm -hmm. However, only nine of those made the final cut. That must have been difficult. Oh, it was a process because they apparently would end up having a bit of a strained relationship by the end because Michael was beginning to focus more on the dance aspect of the album than the actual like meat and bones of an album. Mm -hmm. By the end, both were unhappy with the finished product and they ended up remixing each song taking an extra one week per track to get it finished. Woof. Yeah. They worked on the record in L.A. at Westlake Recording Studios from April until November 1982. All in all, the album cost $750,000 to make, and that's nearly $2 million in today's monies. That's, I guess that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you're talking early 80s. Yeah. We're like, yeah, albums could be expensive, but this was a lot. A lot. (laughs) But it was also Michael Jackson. And we all know Michael Jackson is very fond of just blowing money. No, he is, though. Yeah. Oh, my God, is he? Yeah. It was Rod Temperton who ultimately came up with the album title. Quincy asked him to come up with ideas for names, and Rob ended up somewhere between, like, two and three hundred ideas. They nearly went with the name Midnight Man. But one morning, Rob woke up with the title Thriller in his head, and he knew that was just what it had to be called. Yeah, that's way better than Midnight Man. (laughs) Can you imagine Midnight Man? And just, like, imagine the Thriller album with, like, Michael Jackson laying the way he lays with that Mm -hmm. sweet Jerry curl going on. Mm -hmm. And instead of Thriller, it says Midnight Man. And all of a sudden, you laugh out loud. And then if you open up the album, the vinyl, it's him laying with a tiger. With the tiger. Midnight Man. And with his Midnight Cat. And then it should be a panther, not a tiger, if you're going to do Midnight. Well, yeah, if you're going to do that. Let's not forget the music videos that came out of this album. Three of the singles have iconic videos to go along with them. Beat It, Billie Jean, and obviously, a thriller. Mm-hmm. Most people can't hear those songs without visualizing the accompanying videos. Well, this may surprise you. I mean, like, because it totally surprised me to hear this. She said with a massive eye roll. <laughs> but MTV wasn't super black friendly to, like, the artists. No? Yeah. Oh. Right? In the early 80s, they just, like, didn't do a lot with black artists. Oh. Michael struggled to get his videos on the channel. Fucking Michael Jackson right, because had to like, struggle to get his videos played on MTV. It's That's not like fucking he didn't bullshit. have fucking hits before this. Yes. Again, we just talked about Off the Wall having Rock With You and Can't Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Don't even, like, mention the fact that he was in... The Jackson 5. Yup. For how many years before this? His whole life. Yeah. So. <laughs> Arguably. I don't know. His whole life. Yeah. I mean, you have artists like Rick James heavily criticizing criticizing MTV for being racist, but like MTV would just say, oh, but we're strictly a rock channel, so that's why we don't play black music, because it's not rock. Hmm. Well, like, Prince, I would argue, is rock. Yep. The way he fucking wailed on that guitar. Mm-hmm. So, nobody's buying it, MTV. So CBS Records president, Walter Yetnikoff, went to the execs at MTV and told them, 
I'm not going to give you any more videos and I'm going to go public and fucking tell them about the fact that you don't want to play music by a black guy. You racist fuck. And that's actually quote quoted. Nice. Yeah. Like he legit was like, I'm going to fucking tell everybody you're a racist piece of shit. And they're like, (laughs) oh no. They pooped themselves a little and then they immediately (laughs) backtracked and began putting videos by Michael and Prince in heavier rotation. Um... Little sidebar that I've kind of learned just from watching um, some videos. Mike Judge has a a show out, a cartoon out where he um, tales from the tour bus or something. I found a couple on YouTube, and he does a lot of the Rick James story with it, and it's mm-hmm. all animated and stuff, very Mike Judge style. Yeah. And um, I guess even though Michael and Prince were being played on MTV, Rick James still had a really hard time with it. Yeah, well... Because he was not only black, but he's, like... He was darker-skinned black. He was darker-skinned black. And Prince is, was very light-skinned black. And Michael was gradually getting lighter yeah. as the years went on. We're not so- talking about that album. <laughs> this is that album. <laughs> but uh, Rick James... Rick James was black-black. He was black. And, uh, and, like, his music was, like, very, like, culturally funk-like. Funk, and soul. Yeah. And culturally... African American. I mean, granted, Prince had a lot of soul. He had a lot of mm. uh, funk in his. Yeah. Oh, God, no one could play guitar like him. I mean, that's not true. Other people can, but <laughs> it's so. God damn it. I'm just mad that he's dead. I just. Every time we talk about people that are dead, I get really mad that they're dead. Yeah. We've. <laughs> now I get that book, that book that I've seen in the store where it's just the dinosaur and it says, All my friends are dead. That's I want to make another one that's all just. My like, all my are favorite dead. rock artists are dead. All my favorite rock artists are dead. Peter Steele, Michael oh, Jackson, Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury, Prince, Prince, David Bowie, David Bo- <laughs> Wendy uh, Williams. Like, what the fuck? Can we please, like, I would gladly lose a Justin Bieber to regain a Freddie Mercury. Right? I said it. Come for me. All right. Enough with the backstory. Let's just get into these a sweet jams. And we are going to start off this album with the rad fucking jam. Want to be starting something. banging way to open up an album i would say so it's yeah. a great song i forgot how fucking great that song is that's it's a kind of song that you like shake your head and then move your shoulders the opposite way but then i mean i can't do that how do you do that you just shake your head back and i just forth. i just move like it's a very, wobble it's very like night at the roxbury but it does build up into this fucking great dance song yeah that's one thing Michael Jackson was really good oh, at God. was making a banger dance song. Sincerely. Yeah. And this song was written by Michael himself and is clearly reminiscent of like the disco sound that heavily dominated his previous album. It was originally about his sister Latoya and the troubles that she was having with her in-laws, but it evolved into a call out to the press for all the gossip they spread and how it just causes problems for everybody else. Yeah. Truth. Many felt this was a mature step for Michael in songwriting as well as vocals. He's singing about more serious topics in a more nuanced way. 
and the emotion in his voice teeters on the edge of losing control, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Wanna Be Startin' Something was released as the fourth single off the album. It entered the charts at number nine, and it peaked at number five. But pretty big controversy struck Michael 25 years later. What? Yup. When Rihanna asked to sample the famous Duolan line, Mama say, Mama so, Mama cosa. Mm-hmm. And he told her, yeah, it's totally cool. You can sample that. However, he had absolutely... He doesn't have the right to do that. He did not have the fucking right to do that. Also, she should have known better. Like, she should have known that is not an original Michael Jackson line. Well, like, he sampled she it, didn't. too. <laughs> she Come did on, better. Rihanna. Yeah. Well, and this was interesting to me. So then, let's rewind a bit. In 1972, Cameroonian musician Manu Dibango released a song called Soul Makosa, with the line, Mamako Mamasa Makomakosa, which is a pretty similar when you listen to it. Yeah. The beat and everything is, it's very similar. Yeah. Kind of up there. He understandably sued both artists for the use of it, and Michael did admit to borrowing the line for the song. They ended up settling the case out of court in the form of a compensation agreement. I thought it was, like, well known that Michael Jackson... Didn't make that up and then he sampled it. Right. And that was what was weird to me is why nothing really came of it until the 2000s. Yeah. I don't know if it was just like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Menu was like, I'll let it go. And then Rihanna did it and she was like, no, 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 oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Kind of, kind of odd, but yeah, I get it. Maybe he felt like Michael Jackson was doing him an honor. Maybe. And by Rihanna doubling down and sampling it again. Yeah. And not asking him. Maybe. Maybe then he was like, no, this is just kind of insulting. Yeah, maybe that's what it was because he, maybe he let Michael have it because he thought, well, that'll give me a little bit more attention. But when then Rihanna covers it, doesn't ask him, he's like, that didn't do shit for me. Yeah, I mean, to have Michael Jackson ask you, hey, can I use your song or something similar to it? Yeah. If Michael Jackson, assuming Michael Jackson even asked him. He did not. Um, <laughs> he, however, did not. Yeah. But he, maybe hearing Michael Jackson kind of use something similar was a compliment. Right. But then 25 years later, having some, let's say it, kind of vapid pop star, mm. like, take it and not ask you. You're like, do you... Kind of insulting. Do you know... That's my... But that... But... But wait, that's my... I need a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I need a lawyer. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, everything got settled outside of court, and um, I guess, like, he gets a little compensation for the singles. As he should. He should. And he should have been for the 25 years before that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, again, I think it was kind of all kind of strange timing wise, but maybe you hit the nail on the head when you say, oh, he was mad because it's like, wait a minute, this didn't give me any exposure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, sampling wasn't really that big of a thing at that point. So maybe it wasn't so blatant. You know, it does make me wonder. It is like, is it now that sampling is just like so common, people are more likely to get upset about it maybe now people maybe it took one person to get upset about it for everybody else to be like wait we can get mad about this i i'm gonna get mad about this i blame this all on lars ulrich and napster i know that doesn't make sense but i'm going to you know what i'm a beer in i'll let you have it yeah i'm totally gonna let you have it cool that makes sense this all checks out 
Yep. Excellent. Blame it on Lars. So let's uh, delve into the next track called A Baby Be Mine. Yeah, this song is a jam, and it's a jam that I didn't realize was a jam until I've listened to it a few times. I'm like, now nah, this is a good song. Yeah. Like, like for, I kind of get it's a funky little jam. For as many times as I listened to this album when I was a kid, I truly don't remember the song. <laughs> but I It's should. not a memorable song. Like, it's not anything that stands out, but when it's, but it's on, good. you're like, it's a good right, jam. pop in my, hand, my head. I could, I could point my fingers to this. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's how Maggie dances. That's it. I don't know how to dance otherwise. And it makes me think of Candy Hearts for some reason. Which I heard they don't make anymore. Which is a little disappointing. I didn't like eating them, but I liked giving them to people or throwing them at things. But I feel like they were the one food in this world that was would survive a nuclear holocaust. Wait, was it because they stopped making Necco wafers? Because they're Necco, aren't they? They didn't stop making Necco wafers. They stopped making... Or did someone save Necco wafers? I thought they stopped making Necco wafers. No, I don't think they stopped. Are we going to have to Google this? I'm totally Googling this. <laughs> I don't even give a fuck. I hope they didn't, because I really like Necco wafers. Yeah. History and Sad Demise. No. Click on it. No. Yep. Is that a business? New England Confectionery. Is no. Is that a business? Oh. Yeah. Why you can't buy sweethearts? Because Neko is closed. I'm right. Oh, look well, at me. I thought they said that Neko, the Neko company, closed like 15 years ago, but continue. No. That was probably just a rumor about Neko wafers because they're so disgusting. They're disgusting. Like here's the thing: candy <laughs> hearts don't taste good. No, no one. But wants they are them. the one thing that's going to survive a nuclear holocaust and Twinkies and Twinkies, and that's what we're going to survive on. The people that survive the nuclear. Holocaust Holocaust are going to survive on Necco wafers and candy hearts. I'm getting the beatus. Good thing we live close to New England because we can always raid the factory. Yeah. I we're we're going on about randomness because there really isn't too much to talk about with this song. It's written by Rod Temperton about the feelings at the beginning of a new relationship when you really want that person to fully commit. <sighs> like whatever. Like, oh, like oh, skeet skeet fuck love. <laughs> whatever. It's a good jam though. This jam is way better than love. It's just something we can make inappropriate noises to. I mean, I can always make inappropriate noises. You know, but I do like the song. It's fun and it's simple. It's funky R&B, sprinkles of disco here and there. And I will say that the first time I listened to this, I could actually really feel that Quincy Jones influence in it. It made me think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Like kinda. it makes me think of like the the interlude music between scenes. Yep. At the very beginning. It's got that we're really white. We're so white. Burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. Yeah, we're fucking white. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, yep. Everyone loves us. We're the best. Sorry, sorry, guys. If we're ruining this album for you, we might ruin this album for people. Whatever. With our whiteness. No, you can't. But yeah, I mean that's that's really. There's not too much going on with the song. It's it's a good solid jam. 
You know what it is? It's quality filler. It is quality filler. It is quality like, filler. There is there are some anime filler episodes that are really good, and you're like, I know this was filler, but I had a really good time. Yeah. Let's go into the next track, which is called "The Girl Is Mine," featuring Sir Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. This song is Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney's attempt at being Hall and Oates, and it doesn't work. Oh, no. It doesn't work. I can't go for that. I do not go for that. No No, no. can do. No can do. (laughs) Oh, no. Not at all. It's another silly little duet with Paul McCartney. Before this, they had recorded the songs Say, Say, Say and The Man for Paul's album. Mm -hmm. And the two had a pretty good friendship. Up until 1985, when Michael bought the rights to the Beatles songs right under Paul's nose. Yeah, they never really came back Wait, from that. Wait, who, who allowed that? So, the Beatles never owned their own rights to their songs uh, due to, like, recording contract bullshit. Mm-hmm. But by 1985, the rights were up to buy. Now, Paul had been really good friends with Michael, and he was just kind of telling about how, like, oh, man, I can't wait to buy my rights back. And then he was telling Michael about how... You know, it's really it's a really good idea to own rights to songs, even if they're not yours, because like you can make money off them. And, and Michael Jackson was like, "You're right. I'm oh, gonna buy yours." Oh, Paul, that's a real great idea, Paul. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna take your songs, <laughs> bitch. These are my songs now. And Paul McCartney's like, "Well, we're not friends anymore, Michael." I mean, yeah, deal breaker. I mean, Honestly, that is a really fucked up thing yeah, to do. That's really, really Some not cool. say business savvy. I say like, wow, that's a dick move. Yeah. Michael wrote this song for the two of them about both being in love with a girl and fighting over her. Which <laughs> Oh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Oh, I'll get to that. Apparently Michael wasn't big into literally writing songs down. He used to use a tape recorder and would actually sing both the instrumental as well as the vocals. And then he would just go into the studio and be like, this is what I want. And they would just create it. Okay. So it was actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Michael really enjoyed making this song since it was with his friend Paul. And they had fun being in the studio together and spent a lot of time joking around. And even like Paul's wife, Linda, would be there and they have all so much fun. And Michael said around this time, he was rather lonely and had a hard time making friends. So the ones that he had, he did really, truly appreciate. The Girl Is Mine was released as the album's first single, as the record company thought having the former Beatles name attached to it would help it gain notoriety. Okay. And it must have helped because it did reach number two on the Billboard Top 100. Hmm. Despite that, and now you can come back in. The song overall was not well received. Critics thought it was pretty ridiculous to listen to these guys fight over a girl. Yeah. Yeah, I do I agree. Even Linda, agree. Paul's wife, thought it was like this is a little weird, but okay. Like you guys seem to be having fun, so I'm mean, not gonna stop you. This isn't exactly believable, but Okay. Sure. Like Paul McCartney had to have been in his forties at this point. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to be in his forties at this point. He was he was born in the forties. 
Yeah, so and this was, was the eighties. Yeah, so, so he's yeah, probably 40s. like late thirties, early forties at mm-hmm. this point. Michael Jackson like just turned twenty one, twenty two. Oh wow, really? Yup. Oh, he was so young. He was so young. So like not just believable. Just a baby. Just a baby. And actually, some did accuse Quincy Jones of writing a pop song for a white audience, which honestly maybe he was. Like that guy knew how to make his money. Yeah. Like he and he would just like I know what the people are gonna want to hear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody wanted to hear this. And but he knows what's going to sell. I mean, it did, again, like, it charted. Yeah. Yeah. With its disappointment, fans were certain that Thriller was going to be a total flop. As we now know, that isn't the case. So this song has just kind of gone on to be the weakest part of the album. Also, is the now famous uh, Brandy and Monica duet, The Boy Is Mine, like a flip flopped version of this song. You stole my thunder. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm I sorry. was gonna bring that. I was 100 gonna bring that. <laughs> it, it was. It was. It was totally yeah, an inspiration. Because I it. feel. I feel like when that song came out, I heard something about it being compared to the girl is mine. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And 100, you are good. Very astute of you. Ew. And then the listeners at home, if you already figured that out, very astute of you as well. Ew. Ew. Though some have actually praised this song as being pretty progressive in racial ideas and said that it, like, through the radio exposure, it helped to open up the world to interracial relationships just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because you do have a black guy and a white guy fighting over the same girl. We don't know the girl's race, but either way, you're going to yeah. end up with, like, interracial relations here. And I suppose just Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson being friends yeah, helped with... Like, the playful kind of just, like... We're just having a playful fight over a girl, whatever. Yeah. Yes. It has its good points, but not a great song. Yeah, the spoken word part kind of ruins it for no, me. No, Michael. <laughs> no, Michael. I don't know I'm Michael Caine right now, but I've decided to be Michael Caine. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the quintessential thriller. Mm. know when i watch this video it just makes me wish beyond hope and dreams that i could fucking dance <laughs> because i cannot dance you even can't. in the slightest sense of the word dance i can have fun like at least i look like i'm having a good time yeah i'm drunk but like <laughs> when you watch this video you are like Oh my god, I want to move like that. Those zombies look so fierce. My god. And one of the best um, hair, makeup, and costume jobs I've seen, even in movies. Ever. Fantastic. Um, I re- Not only did I love this video, but I loved watching the making of this video yeah. that I have seen countless times at this point. Just the video alone. Yeah. It's just... Ugh. Is fantastic. Let's let's bring it back to just the title track itself. It frankly surprises me that this isn't the first or last song on this album. Yeah. Like, it just feels really weird being the last song on side one. Yeah. It doesn't really fit 
I will say the one problem with Thriller that I have is that the songs are poorly placed. Yeah, they don't particularly make sense. I would have made Thriller either the first or the last. I would have made The Girl's Mind, like, number two. Mm-hmm. Like, PYT, I think I would have put farther up. And, like, I, yeah. I just... Yeah, it just doesn't... It doesn't the flow, flow The flow well. isn't great. Yeah, no. I would have actually put Wannabe starting something closer to the end. Whatever. You know what? That's neither here nor there. The song is written, again, by Mr. Rod Templeton, the little rat. No, it's Rod <laughs> Temperton. Sorry. <laughs> and was, in fact, the last single to be released from this album. And it peaked in the top ten charts all around the world. It reached number four in the U.S. Only number four? I know. What? I was so surprised. That's crazy. I know. Rod was inspired to write a song with a lot of horror film imagery because he knew Michael was big into movies. He wanted to build it up with suspense until it reached its climax. Originally, it was going to be called Starlight, with the chorus going something like, Give me some starlight, starlight sun. But Quincy just didn't think it was strong enough, which, good good ear, Quincy. I mean, there's Quincy Jones is a problematic person. Yeah, but he does know a jam when he hears it. He knows a jam. He knows a potential jam and how to make it a full-on jam. Oh, yes. Especially throughout this album. Yes. Composition-wise, the song obviously has ties with funk and disco and a lot of sweet sweet synthesizers interspersed with creepy type things like creaking doors and howling and, of course, the Vincent Price rap. I don't like to call it a rap. It's not a rap. It's an introduction. Everyone calls it a rap. No, it's 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 an outro, but it's really a monologue. Oh, it is. It's a monologue. Quincy had the idea to use Vincent for the track, as his then wife Peggy was friends with him. He asked, just friends with Vincent Price. Can you imagine being friends with Vincent Price? Who's just friends with Vincent Price? Ugh, the luckiest woman in the world. That's who. Apparently, he tasked Rod with creating something for Vincent to say. And in a move that you and I can both relate to, Rod procrastinated on it and ended up writing it in a taxi on his way to the studio to record with Mr. Price. That's like every fucking Sunday. Yeah. You're like, well, <laughs> when it's better my, get my notes turn to done. write notes, I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to start writing my notes. And it's like six o'clock on a Sunday. Oh, my God. I still know how you do that. Well, Vincent Price got his take his part down in two takes because he a professional. He's professional. And look, the song is a jam, but how it really made its mark was with the music video. Yes. Which is arguably the most famous music video of all time. It was the first to be inducted into the National Film Registry as a culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant film. If you haven't seen it, like, who are you? Are you a baby? Get on the YouTubes. Are you and are you a time traveler? Why haven't you seen this? It's over 13 minutes long and is littered with classic horror tropes, starting off with Michael and his girlfriend, played by Ola Ray, as 1950s high school sweethearts walking at night when all of a sudden, Michael turns into a werewolf and chases off his girlfriend. That scene scared the piss out of me when I was a kid. As it should. When he turns into um, the werewolf, yep. still... Even though it's not a movie, it's still one of the best horror scenes in horror movie history, I think. Yeah, no, it's still, it freaks me the fuck out. And I'll explain why that is in a moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Hold on to your pants. (laughs) 
Well, then we switch to the same couple watching this unfold as a movie in the theater. The girlfriend gets scared and leaves. Cue the Michael Jackson eating popcorn gif that we use like motherfuckers. If you don't know the video, you know that fucking gif. You know the gif of Michael Jackson just putting popcorn in his mouth, just waiting for the drama to unfold. Yes, he is. Like you are in your Facebook post when your uncle says something and you're like, oh, I can't wait to say what my cousin yeah. says on Or like this. when two friends from different friend groups start going at it oh, and you're and just you're like, like, I'm just waiting for what's And at this point, next. I feel like we post that gift just to like call people up like, y'all are being dramatic as fuck yep, and, I'm, and here I'm here for it. For it. And, and everybody like, shuts up after you post that. They're like, like, oh. Because everyone's like, oh, I'm being an asshole, aren't I? Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're being the a fucking answer asshole. Is, but don't yep. stop on my account. <laughs> don't take my word <laughs> for it. So... Michael leaves with his girlfriend, Ola, and they walk home. And as they are walking home, he turns into a zombie and dances with the undead. And then he chases Ola off with the zombies and then they're going to get her in this haunted house. But then she wakes up and was, it's just all a dream. Or was it? Because then Michael Jackson turned into a creepy cat. I defended That's, it's, it's a good video, guys. No, you don't even know my description. You don't even need to go to the YouTube's now. I think we did a great job. <laughs> the music video was directed by the seminal John Landis of uh, of American Werewolf in London fame. Yes, Michael wanted to use him specifically because he saw that film. Which hold up, I don't give a fuck. In my opinion, best horror movie ever. It's a really good one. It's he's, so fucking good. He's done other ones though. And now I can't remember what they are. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter American because World that's in London is that's all he needs. That's all he needs. Yeah. And hey, she gave ha- me nightmares as a child. Mm-hmm. I watched horror movies way too young. I think I we was all like did. four or five watching horror movies, and I should not have been. No, I think everybody that's our age was watching rated R movies well before we, we should, should have. not have. It explains a lot about our generation. No. You know what explains a lot about our generation is the fucking swamps of sadness scene in fucking never-ending story when Artax dies because the horse is depressed. I thought you were going to say our student loan debt, but I mean, like, that works too. That too. Because that's what's getting me down these days. Uh, I'll never pay that shit. Fucking swamps of sadness and Artax started it. Student loans just kept it going. And I mean, we did see, and and our dark sense of humor has come from all the horror movies that we've seen as children. Yep. Well, John was a little confused as to why he would be the one to direct it. But once he met with Michael, they conceived a short film idea, which, by the way, did involve Michael really wanting to have a werewolf transformation scene, hence why it was there. They played this in theaters for a short time, so it would be eligible for an Oscar. Like, they went to great lengths to make sure this was big outlandish, cinematically gorgeous, and they were like, let's fucking put this in a theater. We want to try to win an Oscar. They didn't win, but BT dubs. It played before Fantasia, which kind of upset some parents. Yeah, I get that. Because you bring your kid to see Fantasia. I remember when I was in, like, first grade, my music teacher wanted to show us Thriller, so he showed us, like, the first couple minutes, and we're like, you can't show us this. (laughs) This is not... This is scary. My sixth grade chorus teacher showed us all of Roots, which was controversial, but also very thankful he did that. Yeah. Because honestly, he was the only black teacher 
in a school full of white teachers, in a school full of white children, we needed to see it. Yeah. And honestly, if we didn't see it in that class, we wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, you're right. We were a school full of white kids, you know, and we never met a werewolf, so it was really good that we watched (laughs) the first few minutes of Thriller to see a werewolf transformation. I mean, it's things you need to know. Six of one, half dozen of the other, guys. (laughs) Also, fun fact about the Thriller uh, music video... To get these zombie clothes looking pretty gross and disgusting, mm. they buried their clothing, yep. Yep. which is exactly what Dead yep. from Mayhem did. Maybe he took a cue from fucking Thriller. I mean, maybe. But he doesn't. He won't tell you that. Yeah. Connections. I mean, connections making them. <laughs> Epic, Michael's record company, did not want to finance this because they saw it as a waste of money. Losers. Right? Thriller was already doing so well on the charts, they figured it doesn't need a video. And since Michael and co. wanted $900,000, and that was more than any video at any point, so they're like, no, we're not giving that to you. Also, it's like four times as long as any video ever made. For reals. They agreed to give them $100,000, and John Landis's producer came up with the idea to finance the rest of it by creating a documentary on the making of the Thriller video. Which they aired every Halloween on VH1, and I watched it. But not at first. They tried to sell it to television stations. And by the way, you can just catch us on YouTube now. It's fun. Yeah. It's a good thing to watch. Um, the only channels that bit were Showtime and MTV surprisingly enough, Hmm. both splitting the cost with Michael paying for whatever was left. And boy, howdy, did this work out for all involved. Yes. Within a couple months, the VHS sold a million copies, making its money back, and then a lot more. For makeup, John brought in Rick Baker, who worked on American Werewolf in London, and that's why it looks so fucking amazing. Because John Landis is like, I know what works. Come on, kids, let's do this again. I mean, if you're if you're gonna go all the way with it, get everybody you know that yeah, who's, has done who's a that fucking good. great job yeah. on everything you've done before. And the same guy who did Michael's werewolf transformation did the werewolf transformation in American Werewolf in London. Yeah, that's why it looks so. Really that's why it looks good. amazing, and why it scared the living shit out of me when I was five years old. Oh Again, watching things I shouldn't have been watching yep. when I was way too yep. young. Way too young. It's a no-brainer, guys. And as far as costumes go, it was John's own wife, Deborah Nadulman, who made Michael's quintessential red leather jacket. Which was fun. Nice. Right before the video was released, Michael freaked out because he was getting backlash from the members of his Jehovah's Witness faith. They claimed the film was supporting the occult, so he demanded that all the negatives be destroyed and they not release the film. Like, right last minute. He's like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Everybody's really upset at me. I mean, did you not think that maybe they would get upset before you started I'm doing I'm sure this? he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. I have absolutely no doubt yeah, in my mind I that mean, he did not. It makes sense that he probably wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, I don't think he would have. Manager John Bracca stepped in and suggested Michael put a disclaimer at the beginning stating that this film did not reflect any personal views or positively support the occult. And that was good enough for him to release it. So, video's a hit. He didn't really suffer any bad backlash from it. Well, not from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, through my research, I think I discovered one of the reasons Michael had a hard time with friendships. He was not the greatest in the ways he treated people. Yeah. Both John Landis and Ola Ray sued him due to disputes over royalties. 
John said that he was owed about four years worth and Ola said she had difficulty collecting hers. Uh, Michael died before he could settle with Ola, so the family trust took care of it post-mortem. But either way, it's like, so if you watch the documentary... Wait, Michael died before he could settle? Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah. how long did this go on for? A long time. It wasn't until the Holy 90s that they shit. started to do the suits, and it At went least on for a 20 very years? long time. Like, when it, they, 25 years? It was like years? mid to late 90s, so I would say it was somewhere around like 10 to 15 years. Holy fuck. Sometimes these things will go on forever, because sometimes with royalties, it's a lot of he said, she said stuff. Yeah. It's the same with like non-competes, you know. Sometimes you gotta prove shit, and it, it's just, it's a lot. And, like, at first, Ola felt bad about it, so she retracted, but then, like, she brought it back because she's like, but wait, he's still not paying me. Yeah. You know, you watch the documentary, and you see, like, him and John Landis seem like legit friends. Like, they're having I a great they time were. together. Ola and him have great chemistry, and she's like, I love Michael. He's a great guy. They're great people. He's a great person. They seem to be having a great relationship. Michael will develop, and I mean, let's go back to Paul McCartney. He will develop these great relationships with people, and then he just fucks them over because I think I guess this is as controversial into their the Jackson controversy they'll get you know like when you're a kid and you do something shitty because you think it's funny and your parents are like no 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 you can't fucking do that yeah that's not right his parents probably never said you can't fucking do that so he thought like it's okay if I do shitty things it's funny right and people are like no. no, bro, that's not okay. And, like, he would lose friendships because he was greedy and he was childish and he never matured. And so he would okay. do shitty things to people and be like, well, you don't need but any you money. Can... You're rich. Like, whatever. You don't need your fair share. Whatever. You don't care that I buy the royalties to your songs. I mean, I just want everything and you just want me to be happy, right? That's it's like that's what I imagine was going through his head. Like I don't think he could mentally process that other people had fucking feelings. Yeah, it's it sounds like maybe he just kind of did whatever he thought was right because kind of his whole life he could probably just do whatever he yes. wanted. I mean, really. first of all, yeah, he was like the face of the Jackson Five, really. Right. So um, and he was he was in the business at such a young age that. He probably, his parents probably missed that very critical time where you tell your child what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Where they because should they were been... so consumed with making him a fucking star. Right. Like, that it, it, at the time when he should have been getting these, like, <laughs> really critical life lessons in yeah. what's right, what's wrong, sharing, like, being kind to others, like, their parents teaching him... What he can and can't do, what's legit, what's okay, what's not okay. Yeah. He was being, like, paraded around as a child prodigy with this amazing musical talent for years. Yeah. Like, he didn't have that, you know, that childhood that everybody else had. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get the same kind of lessons that every child is supposed to have during that time. Right. So and let's not I mean, hold up though. That's not an excuse. No, exactly. I don't want to excuse it at all because I feel like a lot of people excuse Michael's behavior because he had a fucked up childhood, and right. I get that that's part of it. But he did have enough people around him that at some point someone needed to be his fucking get a grip friend and step the fuck in and be like, 
Yeah, Dude, you can't do that. You're treating people like garbage. That's why no one wants to be around you. That's why you're lonely. That's yeah. like why also, you're going to get into trouble later on in your fucking yeah. life. But also he was the biggest pop star in the world at that point. So I'm sure nobody who was in his, even yeah. in his innermost circle, wanted to be like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. But I, I don't care. I think at a certain point he did lack empathy. Yeah, probably. And whether or not that's his fault, I definitely think he lacked empathy. Anyway. But I don't know. That was that was a long-ass sidebar just to say, like, he didn't end up having a great relationship with the people he worked on Thriller with afterwards. Yeah. That's kind of a theme in Michael's <laughs> life, unfortunately. Sounds about right. But we talked a lot about Thriller. I mean, I think rightfully so. But let's move on to the next track, which is also a big one. Mm-hmm. Beat It. You that song without thinking of Weird Al's Beat It. <laughs> Especially like at the end when like Weird Al's going like Hallard! <laughs> like the way he does his Michael Jackson impressions are so good. And then I watched Eat It a lot instead of listening yeah. to Beat It because I'm like, but I love Eat It. But like, I feel like every time we cover an artist that Weird ha- Weird Weird Hal <laughs> Weird Al has also done a parody of I can't help but just want to listen to the Weird Al version. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. Another song written by Michael after Quincy told him they needed a rock and roll song on the album in the same vein as the Knack's My Sharona. And he wasn't wrong as this tune topped the charts all around the world, reaching number one in many countries, including the U.S. Mm -hmm. And as far as lyrics, Michael's brother Jermaine said the inspiration came from their time in Gary, Indiana and witnessing gang activity right outside their hotel. Michael has a severe dislike of violence and wanted to make a statement that we don't have to end all conflicts in physical altercations. You can end them in wonderful dance moves with switchblades. I mean... Like the video. If I could dance, I could. Looks like I'm getting my ass beat. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like you getting shanked, bitch. I'm getting shanked. And while this is a solid jam on its own, what really gave it a punch was the guitar solo by Mm. our good friend... Eddie Van Halen. Yes. Quincy called Eddie to ask him if he'd be interested, and Ed was convinced it was a prank call. Quincy tried to call him three times before he had to contact a mutual friend to call Eddie and let him know, yeah, bro, like, that's legit Quincy Jones. What made you think it was a prank call? Because it's Eddie Van Halen. He was on a lot of coke back then. And he was Eddie Van Halen. He's always Eddie Van Halen, though. I mean, maybe he was just way too into Starfleet. Starfleet. (laughs) Oh, he might have been, though. That's that's not necessarily wrong. Way too into Starfleet to uh, think of anything else. Surprisingly, Eddie did the solo for free. That's nice of him, I guess. No, I I mean, that does surprise me that Eddie Van Halen would do something for free. Um, He did it a weekend that everybody from Van Halen was, like, kind of away. And he was like, nobody will notice that I did this. (laughs) In other words, 
everybody had gotten into a fight, so he finally had a weekend away from everyone. Yep. Okay, probably. Got it. He came up the solo right on the spot when Michael and Quincy went to his studio with a bare bones version of the song. But Quincy didn't like how tough it sounded, though, so he asked Stephen Lukather, the Toto guitarist working on the album with them, to soften the distorted guitar a bit. And again, the music video was top-notch. The record label would not finance it, so Michael used his own $150,000 to get it done. He hired Bob Garaldi, who had a successful commercial career under his belt at this point, but he had never made a music video. Mm-hmm. So again, Michael's like, hey, make a music video. And this guy's like, all right, I guess. Sure, if you're paying me. (laughs) Many claim the premise of the video, where two rival gangs start to rumble in the streets until Michael shows up and teaches them the joy of dance. (laughs) Can solve all your problems. Except mine, I'm getting shanked. Just join hands and dance. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. They said it's based on the musical West Side Story. But that's not the case at all. Giraldi said it's, in fact, based on his own experience growing up in New Jersey. He had heard stories of guys fighting in gangs with their wrists tied together, armed with only switchblades. I mean, yeah. And one guy coming out and the other guy not, but then the other guy who did come out, like, he don't look too good either. So it's like, oof. Yeah. Murder. Moida. Moida. Moida and Jersey. We got Moida and Joyzy Moida. (laughs) That'd be a good band name. But you have to say Joyzy Moida. Put that on your list. It's a good one. Joyce Moita. You gotta remember that. But probably the most amazing and interesting fact about this music video is that Michael had cast actual Bloods and Crips to play gang members in the background. That, in hindsight, probably a bad idea. Probably. But maybe in the 80s, not so much, because we're all on cocaine. They're still, no. I guess they're all, now they're on meth. They're all on meth. Yeah. Bath salts? I don't know. know. What's popular What do you guys do for drugs? (laughs) Right in. Come on. All you bloods and crips. Right in. Tell us what you're on. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. He saw it as an attempt to try to bring peace between these mortal enemies. He got the LAPD to have a presence in case anything went down, and specifically their gang um, unit of this. So he was like, all right, no, I'm like, I'm going to be smart about it, I guess. (laughs) At at least precautions are being made. I guess. And you may or may not realize it, but the film sets are both insanely boring, and within a few hours, fights were beginning to break out. Like, legit ones? Oh, yeah, no, like, between Bloods and Crips, they started to get bored, and they're like, I'm gonna just fight you. Oh, really? Yeah. You put rival gangs together in a room, and they start fighting? Surprise, surprise! You don't say. No. You don't say. The police wanted to shut the operation down, but Geraldo begged them to let him at least get the dance scene done. The real gang members were just supposed to create a circle around the dancers. And according to the story, once they saw Michaels and the dancers do their routine to the music, they kind of chilled out a bit. And then they realized, like, maybe this isn't the place for a brawl. (laughs) So nothing actually went down. Nothing bad happened. No one got shanked. At least not I feel like they're all expecting this to turn out like the fucking hands around the world Coca-Cola thing. Where it more or less turned into like the fucking, was it Kendall Jenner Pepsi Cola commercial? (laughs) Where you're like, I'm still like not okay with this. And I can see you're trying to make an attempt and I guess I should be okay with that. But also you're going about it. Completely the wrong way, so I'm this. not good like, with it. Maybe, like, you should just donate money to, like, education or something. Yeah. 
all of this was probably really ill-advised. So maybe you should just pack it in and go home. Yeah. I mean, nothing went wrong, I guess. So that's something. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. I mean, Bob Giraldi didn't get shanked, so good for him. they're fucking lucky. Michael Jackson didn't get shanked, so good for him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know. And it's a good video. It's very iconic. Yes, it is. Another video that makes me watch, I'm like, why can't I dance? Maybe later we can practice our um, hand-holding, knife-wielding I'm going to tell you right now. I've been a lot of musicals. I've tried. I I did cheerleading for a year in middle school. I have tried very hard. You still dance the way you do? Yes. (laughs) No, that's what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. That is the one thing in this world. Like, I could probably bullshit art. Um, I can sing, I can act, I can, like, manage shit. Don't fucking ask me to dance. Well, like... The one thing I fucking can't do is dance. I can't do, like, choreographed things. Like, if you want me to, like, what is it, floss? Do that floss Yeah, yeah, thing? the flossing. Um, I can't do that. Uh, running man? No. Oh, I, I can't do, do the that. running man, that's it. No. I, cabbage patch? No. What is that? Tootsie roll? I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I did the dance to it. I can't do any of those things. If you just want me to, like, shake my booty back and forth and, like, bob my head, sure, I can you do that. You are really good at that. I'm really good at that. I can do that hey. all fucking night. But anything else? You want me to do something where I have to do something with my hands and then something completely different with my hips and my legs? Nah. Ain't gonna happen. Yeah. But also, he was wearing the red and black jacket in that video, too, right? I think he was wearing a different red and black... He was actually wearing a different red and black jacket. He was wearing a regular red bomber jacket. He was. Yep. Got it. Because that video came out before Thriller. Thriller was the last one. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, Speaking of being able to dance, let's go to the next song. Billie Jean. Another song written by Michael, and it was the second single to be released off of Thriller, and it caught fire pretty quickly, easing the minds of those worried after hearing The Girl Is Mine. It peaked (laughs) at the top of the charts worldwide, so people were like, all right, Thriller might be all right yet. Now, while there's no specific Billie Jean, Michael's hodgepodge of inspiration for the song is pretty interesting. He Didn't he write it? Kind of based on true things. Yes. Okay. There's 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 truthisms in there. Firstly, growing up in the Jackson Five, Michael had seen a lot of girls fawning over his brothers before he was old enough to experience this himself. They would creep backstage, and some would even manage a one night stand with a coveted elder bro in the Jackson family. Mm, some Tito. And some Germain. Some Germain. Ow. But the closest thing to the subject of the song was a woman who would constantly send Michael's Michael letters saying that he fathered one of her twins. Look, like, I know that, like, nope, nope. It is scientifically possible to have fraternal twins by two different sperms. Oh, Very yeah. difficult and, like, unrealistic and not really plausible with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. However, I digress. <laughs> 
At first, he ignored the letters, but they kept coming and getting more disturbing with each. At one point, she sent him photos of her and a gun, telling him he should kill himself at a certain date and time so they could be together in the afterlife. This understandably disturbed him so greatly, he began to have nightmares. I'm surprised he even actually read his own fan mail at that point. I mean, maybe early 80s, you just did that. I'll give him some credit. He was very nice to his fans. Yeah. You know... Maybe if you got things like packages, or maybe at that point, like, people weren't really surveying your mail. I don't, I don't really know. But I don't, yeah, at that point, I don't really know where fans would send their mail to. I mean, maybe if they had your, they couldn't possibly have his home address. I think they maybe could have. If they're crazy enough. Maybe, maybe to the record label. Apparently, this woman ended up being institutionalized, so she could be crazy enough. Yeah. Sounds like a stalker. Like a legit stalker. It's uh, problematic. Yeah. At best. He became really consumed with writing this song and one day was so deep in thought about it while driving around in L.A. So deep that he didn't notice the bottom of his car was on fire. What? Yup. And if a kid on a motorcycle next to him didn't point it out, he might have died. How how did it... Why was it on fire? I don't don't know. How did it... Why did it... I think it it was a Rolls Royce. What? I don't know if they typically get set on fire, but either way, his car was on fire and the kid in the motorcycle was like, hey, your car's on fire. He's like, oh, oh no, I better get out of here. (laughs) Okay. But he was just... He didn't notice because he was just thinking about the song constantly. Quincy didn't care for the 29-second intro when he wanted to cut it, which I'm like, all right, that's like, it's only 20 seconds, but okay. But Michael refused because it, quote, made him want to dance. And apparently, if something makes Michael Jackson want to dance, you shut the fuck up and deal. Yeah. He, if there's one thing he's good at, it's oh dance God, music. So good at dancing. I hate it. He also wanted to, Quincy also wanted to change the name of the song to Not My Lover so people wouldn't think that it was about the tennis player Billie Jean King. But, inst- but again, Michael would not budge. It was Billie Jean, goddammit. The song created a lot of friction between those two, and in the end, it was mixed 91 times before they finally what? agreed on a finished product. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. It wow. was Yeah, yeah. They, they fucked it up real hard before they, like, backtracked. We're like, okay, this one's good. I like that every track is basically completely fucked up until somebody just finally puts their foot down and is just like, no, this is how it is. Yeah. And then it turns into a fucking hit. They really, they really got lucky considering. I mean, it's just because they had so much talent working on this, really. Yeah. And really, Michael was such a big artist and Quincy was such a big influence. Yeah. That it's, it's difficult for one or the other to speak louder over the other one to get their way. Luckily, they had Toto in the background and be like, we'll fix it. Don't worry. We're good at this. Guys, we're good at this. We did bless the rains down in Africa. But at the me- but in the meantime, hold the line. But also hold the line because which I personally think is a superior song. That might just be because I'm fucking sick of Africa. Africa's going the way of Hotel California and oh. smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, I'm over it. Something you may or may not have noticed is that the bass line seems a pretty familiar, doesn't it? It should to you, Ms. Ashley. That's because Michael Jackson (laughs) lifted it from Hall and Oates' I Can't Go For That. Oh, shit! And if you play them side by side, I'm like, oh, yes. 
I didn't believe it until oh I did it. Oh my god, they're the same baseline. Mm-hmm. I had to get lost in my own brain for a no, hot second. Fun in there. Holy shit, they're the same. <gasps> yeah. Did he get his ass sued? All right, so he was honest enough to let Daryl know this when they were recording "We Are the World" because they were in the same room together. <laughs> but you know what Daryl said? <laughs> he had to wait until then. Yeah. But Daryl uh, said, "You know what? Creative lifting is fair game." And he admitted that he lifted it in the first place. I cannot find where they lifted the baseline for I can't go for that. But it, he Daryl Hall admits he lifted it. Oh, hmm. I mean, it's a pretty basic okay. baseline. Yeah, but I would... But I don't know where he got it from. But didn't uh, Oates play bass? I would think he would have lifted it. I mean, irregardlessly... It was lifted. <laughs> Irregardlessly is a great new word. I mean, it's it's technically a word because my spell check does not correct me when I type it. <laughs> and of course, we have another iconic music video to go along with it. Got Michael dancing on the sidewalk in a sweet tux. And each square he steps on, it's just lighting up as he walks on his way to Billie Jean's hotel room. Wasn't it, like, a big deal to get these things that fucking lit up when he stepped on them? Yeah. Okay. It, it was, an, again, another expensive video to make. Yes. Even though, like, it's a good video, but arguably not that much happens. No. He's yeah. basically just walking. It's really There's just There's somebody walking a tiger on a leash. Yeah. And he just, like... Eventually dances up a fire escape. Yeah, to go see Billie Jean. <laughs> okay, but Billie how are you? Jean. How are you supposed to know that he's going to see Billie Jean? You don't really know. Yeah. It's just Michael Jackson looking dapper in a suit and dancing on a light up sidewalk. I'm looking real good doing it. Yeah. God damn it. It was this video in particular that was what made the CBS president Walter Yetnikoff call at MTV for being racist assholes because they wouldn't play this, and he's like, "Fuck you guys," and they're like. Okay. Rightfully so. Okay, I guess we'll play it. Sorry. Sorry. God damn it, MTV. Speaking of MTV, you know, one could almost say that them making these decisions might be out of human nature, which is the next track on this album. <laughs> Such a good song. You know, again, I did not like the song for the longest time until researching this album now. And I'm like, this is a good song. Yeah. Huh, I was wrong. And Sisters with Voices did a lot with this Fucking in the 90s. SWV. Oh, my God. So good. Go look this shit up. It's so good. <laughs> Even if you don't best look up this you know, song. Best sample of a song ever. Call oh, it. Oh, it was... Amazing and perfect and on point. Yeah. Even if you don't look up this original song, look up SWVs. I what? I listened to it today. I don't even fucking remember the name. I of can't it. remember the name of it, but they heavily sampled um, Human Nature. And but it it's so really good. good. It works so good. But for MJ, this was another top ten hit, and this time it was written by Toto's Steve Porcaro. Honestly. This has Toto written all over right? it. <laughs> this is a Toto song Absolutely. faux show. It's a song that may not have existed if the band had more cassette tapes on hand. Huh? So check it out. 
Steve wrote this song when his daughter came home crying from school, saying a boy pushed her over. When she asked her dad, why would someone do that? One of the reasons he gave her was it's just human nature, I guess, to be assholes. I, not the best response, but okay. Well, a couple, he gave her a couple answers. Like one was just like, oh, yeah. he didn't realize or oh, he likes her or oh, it's just human nature. Yeah. But then he went ahead and wrote a song about this and recorded it on one of their demo tapes. And this is actually when they were doing the album with Africa on it. So this is a couple years before. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward to working with Michael and Quincy, who asked them to come up with songs for the album. Fellow Toto member David Paik created a few, and he asked Steve to record them for Quincy. They were low on tape, so he just took one of the used ones instead of buying a new one, because, like, fuck that. Like, why, why spend the money on that shit? Right. I'm just Steve from Toto. <laughs> Quincy didn't like the songs that David wrote for Thriller, but he didn't stop the tape when they were done. That was why he ended up hearing Steve's song, and he loved it. Well, the chorus, anyway. He had asked songwriter John Bettis, known for his work with the Carpenters and the Pointer Sisters, to come in and rewrite the verses themselves. Mm -hmm. Many critics are very attached to this song and say that it's an early blueprint for what adult contemporary slash R&B music would become. And I can really see okay. that because like, especially like how it influences Michael, like, and Janet in their 90s songs. Like if you take the, I thought this was a 90s song. I did not realize this was on Thriller. Yeah. Me I thought too, this was for a off very of, long like, time. Scream or something. I did not realize yeah. this was an early 80s song. This is very progressive for its time. This is very not an 80s song. This is 100% a 90s song. And maybe I'm saying that because of SWV. Maybe. But, but at also, the same time. For some reason, I really, I don't know why, but I always associate this song with Free Willy. But this but isn't I, the Free Willy it's song. It's not the Free Willy song, but for some reason I always associate it with that. So that's fine. Um, I always think of it as a 90s song and probably SWV has something to do with that but because I love time, that song that they did in the 90s. Yeah. And I think though it works with, but I think it works with the SWV song because this is really way before it's time. Yeah. This doesn't sound 80s at all to me. Yeah. This 100% sounds 90s. It really sounds a lot like Janet's songs in the 90s. Yeah, I think it does. she definitely was very heavily influenced by her brother. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't think there's any question There's about no question that. about that. And then Michael, I think maybe on bad, like straight a little bit from this, but in the 90s, he definitely veered more towards this sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so funny how I like hated this song for the longest time. I'm like, no, this is a good song. It's kind of, I think. It holds up I think real we good. probably didn't like it for a long time because it was so misplaced mm, time-wise. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, it's a great song. And actually, I mean, that's, that's really all there is to it. It's a pretty solid song. And there's another solid song on this album, which I still think is like kind of misplaced track-wise, but whatever. A late player in, in my Michael Jackson game. I guess. But... But like it wasn't, it wasn't release wise. But yes, release wise, wise, no. But making my list of top five Michael Jackson songs, absolutely a late player. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize how good this. Another one did not realize how good this was. Yeah, a pyt, pretty young thing.
the sixth single released off the album had evolved quite a bit from its original demo. Michael originally wrote it with Greg Falang... God fucking <laughs> damn it. I was like, I'm going to be too drunk to say this. Greg Gaines, and it was a bit slower. And I heard the demo. It was like really slow and it wasn't quite as no, good as this. Like this if you listen to, to the demo, song. you would not like it. Yeah. It, um, Quincy wasn't very impressed by it, but he did like the title. So he rewrote it with James Ingram, which you may know James Ingram the way I know James Ingram from the fucking classic song with Linda Ronstadt somewhere out there from the movie An American Tale, oh which was my favorite movie as a child. Was that Feifel? That's Feifel Goes West? No, it was just, it was just regular oh, Feifel. There was Feifel and then no, Feifel Goes West? An American Tale, and Wait. then there was An American Tale, Feifel Goes West. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> I loved both of those movies Oh my God, they were kid. my life. I haven't seen them in so long. I wonder if they hold up. I think they do, but I also think I have nostalgia glasses on, and I'm never going to take them off. Yeah, I kind of don't want to. You but know also, what? I think I'm going to watch it now and just pull my fucking eyes out. There are no cats in America, and the streets are paved with cheese. <laughs> All right. Bringing it back to Michael. <laughs> it always comes back to Michael and the fucking mice. Always. Oh my god, Ben. <laughs> well, James Ingram said of working with Michael and Quincy that it was kind of like being in The Wizard of Oz, with Quincy being the titular wizard and Michael being who he had to deal with in this world. <laughs> but wasn't Michael in The Wiz? He was in The Wiz before oh. this. Mm. The work ethic was like nothing he had ever seen before. Quincy would apparently fall asleep at the board, yet he would still wake up to answer any question thrown his way. Because <laughs> okay. he a professional? <coughs> Excuse me. Sure. The pretty young things singing the na-na-na-nas, na-na-na-na, are actually Michael's sisters, Janet and LaToya. Oh, it helps when your entire family is in the show business. It does. The single reached the top 10 in charts all over, but critics were polarized with their reviews. Some found it to be a really solid track that helped to make Thriller the energetic slam dunk that it was. Agreed. While, while others regarded it as fluff. And they're wrong. Nope. Five no, years no, ago, no, I no, agree, no, no. but now I don't agree. No, no, no. Um, that is not the filler of Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the filler of Thriller is? Huh. It's final track. The lady yeah. in my life. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're every wonder in this world to me. A treasure time won't steal away. So listen to my heart. Lay your body close to mine. Let me feel you with my dream. I can make you feel. Jesus Christ. It's fine. This is a snooze fest. You know what it is? It doesn't hold a candle to the other eight tracks that are on this fucking album. Yeah, this is Even like... to The Girl Is Mine, it doesn't hold yeah. a candle. <laughs> at least we can gr- laugh at The Girl Is Mine. Precisely. But like, this, this is... This is just kind of like, all right, this is... why is this what closes out the album? This is like the garbage slow dance... In your at in your middle like, school, at your, at your eighth like grade? eighth grade dinner dance, <laughs> yeah, this is the garbage oh my God, last slow dance. 
Yeah, no. I'm no. Thank you, next. You should have fucking struck this from from the list. Yeah, you had you had. Hold up, you had. I can math. You this. had thirty. Twenty one. You had twenty one other songs you could have chosen yep. from, and this is the one and, you went and with. And this made it. And this is the last song. That's, Thriller should have closed out. Honestly, this album. that don't math right. I that, can't go for that. I can't go for that. This don't math right. This don't math. That right. should have been a song. Hollow Notes should have done this. <laughs> this don't, don't math right. They could still do it. They're both still alive. Fucking don't die, Hollow Notes. I know where he lives. Oh my god, that sounds really threatening. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it it's meant to be. Look, we're we're bantering because there really is nothing to discuss about this song. It's written by Rod Temperton, and it's a basic smooth love ballad that compliments Michael's voice nicely. That is a perfect word for it. Basic. It's a basic bitch smooth yes. love ballad. But it's I mean, like he's his voice sounds great. It does, it's, and it's a it's a solid slow jam. You know, like, but I guess it's I guess you slow. could like you could like make out to this, but. You want to know why? Because, like, you wouldn't notice it. Sometimes you need songs on your makeout playlist that you're not going to pay attention to. But, no, I don't think this is a makeout song. This is the conversation getting to know you song Ooh, before like you the makeout. like you some red wine for each other. Yes. And you got some candles. You got some scented candles from Yankee Candle that you got on discount. Yeah, this is the song you eat your dinner to before Ooh. the makeout starts. All right. Just closing it all out. Now, if you've had your doubts before, you can see why this album is still held in high regard. It has been included in the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry of Culturally Significant Recordings and has influenced so many artists from Justin Timberlake to Usher to Chris Cornell, his cover of Billie Jean. And you can tell it influenced Justin Timberlake because he basically ripped off the entire album. I want to be Michael Jackson. And you're like, but you can't do it. But you can't, bitch. It transcends genres and everyone is able to find something they like on it. And not only did Michael benefit from its success, but so did the music industry as a whole and MTV, which was a fledgling network at the time. Oh, we don't want to play black artists. But then they started playing Thriller. And guess what? Everybody fucking started watching MTV. Everybody bought fucking Camel once like that shit happened. His songs got audiences excited for music again at a time when disco was dead and punk was arguably on its way out. Look, I get like I like punk guys. Guys, we like punk. Don't fucking come for me. I'm not saying punk is bad. But by, like, the mid-80s, punk was kind of out. Yep. So, the the excitement that a lot of genres like disco and punk were bringing to music were kind of coming out. But Michael Jackson's like, hey, I got some jams. Mom, we come dance around. And you're like, I'd like to dance. And he's like, not you, Maggie. Maggie, you can't dance. Put your fingers down. And it still holds up today. Thrillers become a household staple. Like in your house. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows at least one single from this record. It was re-released in 2008 as Thriller 25, which was produced by Michael and featured an additional seven tracks. Some of these tracks were remixed with artists like Kanye West, Will I Am, Akon, and Fergie. Oh, a, a smashing list of artists. This, in my opinion, was a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. But it did pretty good in the charts, apparently. Look, okay. actually, Kanye West and Akon both did really good songs And when for was this? this, 2008? Yes. And so it was about that time. The arguably, Kanye, Kanye West wasn't fully off the no, deep No, no, no. This was when Kanye West was pretty good. 
Um, this and was like, like Gold Digger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Era. Yep. This was the cusp of uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Pretty much. Like, he was like four or five years away from telling Taylor Swift, I'm going to let you I'm finish. I'm going to let you finish. So, like, he was still... He was still a good artist. Mm-hmm. Um, Akon did want to be starting something, and it actually, I would say, like, listen to that. That's actually a pretty good jam. Also, this was like Akon's heyday. Yeah, so it really was. He was really good back Fergie then. Fergie basically, like, did beat it verbatim, and it was a fucking terrible. I'm not surprised. It was so bad. Well, I am. I, uh, it wasn't offensive, but it wasn't good. Arguably a better producer than an artist. Agreed. So. Had his voice box replaced with an auto tuner. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. I'm starting. Yeah, I I'm gonna be behind that. But in general, whether or not this is your cup of tea, Thriller holds an important part in our cultural zeitgeist. It managed to bring together people of different gangs, races, countries, whatever else, and it made Michael Jackson the absolute legend he is known as today. Thriller is a very important album. In humanity, and you can't forget it. And you have to at least listen to it once and be like, I know it's there. And it's influenced everything. Well, the great thing about Thriller is that Michael Jackson really couldn't be put into one genre or another. He took so much influence from everything around him Mm -hmm. that you couldn't really just throw this into a generic pop category and be okay with it. Yeah, yeah, it's pop. It's mainstream. But you have Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, um, the guys from Toto. Yeah. Rod Temperton did a lot of good work. Rod Temperton. Influences of um, Hall & Oates. Yep. Queen had some influences, like we talked about in our Queen Queen, episodes. Queen influences. And really, Prince did too. Yep. Because... 100%. This was... Especially a time when um, Prince and Michael Jackson were just starting to kind of connect with each other. So they were playing off of each other at this point, too. So that's the thing with Michael Jackson is that, yeah, he was a pop artist, but he had so many influences just like Prince did. Right. Um, He wasn't just soul. He wasn't just R&B. He wasn't just pop. He wasn't just rock and roll. He was all of these things all at once. And, you know, really, this is why he's the king of pop. Right. Because pop music, yes, it means popular. And like some people want to go against the grain and be like, I don't like popular. But but it's all these things. Pop music is popular for a reason. And it's because like it's agreeable to everyone. And I don't know. You know, we can get into the science of like how our brains work and how evolution wise we have grown to like certain sounds. I'm not that deep right now. (laughs) (laughs) But this album definitely can hit everyone's spot, at least a little bit. Right. And especially for people of our generation, because this came out when we were little. We were... Very little. No, um, this came out before we were embryos. Yeah. Because it came out in 82. So this was something we were literally listening to while we were in the womb. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So this was very influential on people of our age, people who are slightly older than us. Um, And everybody who's come after us. And everybody who's come after us. And this really set a standard for pop music in the early 80s and every year after that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can hear it today. You can still hear the influences today. Yep. Especially with SWV. Whatever happened to SWV? We gotta go look them up later. I've... (laughs) 
I feel like I recently looked them up and they are doing very well individually. Good and for them. And they have, I believe, reunited and have done some shows. Nothing, No, like, major tours or anything, but they have made special appearances. All right. And if they ever came right to here. New York, I would... Fuck! They should do the Love I Love the Nineties. Be right oh, here. Oh my god! <laughs> they should do the. Fuck- I figured it out. I figured it out. Uh, they should do the I Love the Nineties tour. Yes, with Salt and Pepper. That would be the best show ever. Yes. Oh, I'm here for it. We need to start a petition. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think that's where we need to end it because mm-hmm. we are drunk and jamming out, and I think we need to listen to some jams. And without we need to put thriller on and finger up dance. All right, we, we need to make dance. dance. That's fine. That's fine. All right, we're closing it out. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you listening to us and your support and your love and everything you want to give to us. Your you want to give us more? Oh, kisses and hugs oh, in oh. your hearts. We appreciate you, PYTs. But also, like, comments on our shit. Also, like, leave us some reviews, give us some five-star ratings on iTunes. You can message us, we'll respond. We will. Totes. I personally fucking love it when people comment on... I get so excited when my phone pops up, like, somebody comments, and I'm like... (gasps) People like us! Yay! (laughs) Like, a lot of people actually commented on our typo negative um, posts from last week's episode and i was very excited because like people were commenting all over the place and everybody liked it and i felt so good about myself you felt validated i felt validated but i was also really worried that everybody would hate it right well so validate me this week by commenting celebrate maggie celebrate me (laughs) it is my birthday month send me extra love no it is no, nobody gets a birthday month. I get a you birthday get a birthday month, day. You, you get a day. You, you get a day. Whore. Anyway, uh, come and follow us on all the social medias. We have Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. We have Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. Our website is www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can always drop us an email at contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. There are a plethora of ways to talk to us, yeah. and we will talk to you. Or just comment on our like stuff. It. Yeah. And you know what? Like, we're going to keep going strong with fucking Black History Month. Yeah, there are a fuck ton. Yeah, and we don't do our due diligence, and we are trying to make up for that. Of uh, performers of color who do not get the accolades and praise that they deserve. Seriously. So, um, that's what this month is going to be about. Hell yeah. And next week will be a very interesting and fun, and I'm very looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Nice. All right. So, tune in next week for more... Awesome stories of music. Indeed. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.